23, verses 21 and 22. Now when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came out of heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Out in the foyer, there are a number of handouts that look like this. This is an invitation to our gospel meeting that starts two weeks from today. It's coming really fast. Alan Webster is going to be here. He's a a wonderful, fantastic speaker, a a great preacher of the gospel. I know you're going to be blessed by his lessons, but I want to tell you about this, this particular series. Seeing the Bible's Big Picture is the title of this particular series of lessons. And the reason the elders selected this series is because we're hoping and praying that this is the kind of topic that people in our community will be interested in coming to hear. The idea that I want to get a better handle on the Bible. I want to know more about the big picture of Scripture, where, where things go and why are there two covenants and how can I know what the New Testament is all about and why is it different from the Old Testament? All those kinds of questions are going to be dealt with in this particular series of lessons. And so the reason I have one of these with me right now is because I want to encourage you when you leave tonight, consider taking a couple with you. And if you have a friend, a coworker, a neighbor who you you believe might appreciate an invitation to hear a series of lessons like this, take advantage of that this week. Again, it's starting two weeks from today, September the 19th, and Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night will be here as well, the 19th through the 22nd, Alan Webster. And again, I know you'll be blessed to hear that particular series of lessons, but keep that effort in your prayers. Also, remember, this is the last night for submitting names for men who you believe are qualified to serve as elders here. I wanna say one thing about all of this. It's been really eye-opening for me as I've thought about and prayed about this process, how many younger men are getting closer and closer to being qualified. As you think about the number of families that work and worship here at Katy, it's exciting to look and to see you can just kind of see the future as, as you look at some of the younger men and the way that they're handling themselves and conducting themselves with their families. It's an encouraging thing. And let's keep those families in our prayers as well because it won't be too many more years before we're gonna have another elder selection process and some of their names you're gonna be submitting at that time. So keep all of that in your prayers and especially this current process. I know it's something you've been praying about. I know you'll continue to do so. And I know the elders appreciate your prayers on their behalf. The Holy Spirit, let's talk about him for a few moments. Tonight we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit and the life of Christ. I want you to appreciate this one truth. If you don't get anything else out of the lesson tonight, get this one truth, that the Holy Spirit is an integral part of the ministry and the life of Jesus Christ. When I was a younger man, when I was a younger preacher, and I wanted to preach about the Holy Spirit, I would usually start in places like Acts chapter two. And I'd talk about things like baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I'd talk about the gift of the Holy Spirit, and all the questions I know you already have, and we're gonna deal with some of those in, in, in the next few weeks. But I didn't give as much attention to these aspects, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, last week's lesson, and the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ, tonight's lesson. 
And I believe that the Bible wants us to see that there is a continuity, that the Holy Spirit has been present ever since eternity past. He's divine, he's God. That he was involved in creation, Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. That he was involved in revelation and giving people according to God's will, his information, his message in various places at various times. And how the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament consistently did what God required so that people could be equipped to serve him. And if you wanted to just kind of look at this on a timeline, I'm gonna show you a timeline later on tonight of, of all this because it's important for us to appreciate the Holy Spirit has been at work in this world since creation. And there are many different ways in which he has worked. And you need to look at the whole of scripture before you zero in on some of the particulars like what is baptism of the Holy Spirit, for example. Look at the whole, look at the big picture. And so tonight's lesson is aimed again at that particular idea. Last time we closed, as we talked about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, with a promise. And the promise is found in Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 32. And the promise is that God said, there's coming a time, my spirit has done many, many things throughout history, but there's coming a time when I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh. And that was an exciting thing for people to hear, that God was once again gonna renew his covenant with people, that he was going to work in a new and a powerful way through his spirit, that that was a promise that the Old Testament made. And people looked forward to the fulfillment of that promise in Joel 2, 28 through 32. But that's not the only promise like that that you read about in the Old Testament. For example, when we start talking about Jesus, there were many different lines of evidence that were going to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. How are you going to know the Messiah when he comes? One of the lines of evidence for proving that the Messiah had come was going to be that the Holy Spirit would anoint the Messiah. Watch this in Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2. Isaiah the prophet, 720 some odd years before Jesus, writes this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. He's talking about the Messiah. And watch this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So when ancient Jews read Isaiah, they realized that there was a servant, someone who came from the root of Jesse. He had to be a descendant of David, the Messiah did. And he also had to be, couldn't just be any descendant of David, it had to be the one on whom the spirit of the Lord rested. Not only that, Isaiah 42 verses one through four. Behold my servant, God says, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And you know what? Matthew quotes that same passage in Matthew chapter 12. And he's talking about Jesus when he does it. The Messiah. He is the one upon whom God puts his spirit, according to Isaiah 42, verses one through four. And so when people look for the Messiah, when they look for the chosen one of God, when they look for Jesus, who is he? Who's he gonna be? They had to look for someone upon whom God had put his spirit. In Luke 4, 18 through 20, Jesus read, as we noticed last time, 
Isaiah 62 verses one and two, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so when we look for the life of Christ, it's not surprising to find that God anoints Jesus with, he blesses Jesus with the Holy Spirit because that was one of the requirements. If Jesus is the Messiah, he has to check all the boxes. He has to be a descendant of David. He has to be from the tribe of Judah. He has to be anointed by the Holy Spirit. If all those things are not true, then Jesus is not truly the Messiah. And even after the cross and after the resurrection, when Peter preached to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, he was preaching to Cornelius the Gentile. And here's what he said about Jesus. It's fascinating. Think about it. Here's a Gentile, Cornelius, and he's going to hear the gospel for the first time. What does he need to know about Jesus? Well, here's what Peter says by inspiration. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's interesting that Peter chose by inspiration to say that, that God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. All I'm saying is there's an expectation going back to the ancient times of the Old Testament that the Spirit was going to bless and enrich and rest upon the Messiah. And when you were looking for the Messiah, you also had to be looking for the Spirit of God. You had to be looking for the Holy Spirit because this is what prophecy foretold. So when you look at the life of Jesus, it's not surprising then that our learning about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament doesn't start in Acts chapter 2. It actually starts in books like Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. Open your Bible this evening, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. And I just want to take you through in Luke's account of the, of the birth of Christ, I just want to take you through some passages together for a few moments this evening. As we think about the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ, let's just focus on the Holy Spirit at the birth of Christ. And it's almost as if Luke and other writers do this too, but Luke especially goes out of his way to emphasize the Spirit and his working in the coming of Jesus to this earth. Notice, if you would, events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Talking to the parents, the soon-to-be parents of John the baptizer. He shall be great in the sight of the Lord, talking about John the Baptist. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He also will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Now, just saying that would have been surprising. The idea that the Holy Spirit is going to be a part of this young child's life, even from his mother's womb. But God's got a commission for John the baptizer. He's got something he wants John the baptizer to do. And the Holy Spirit is going to give him the strength and the wisdom and the power to accomplish what God wants John to accomplish. Look in the same chapter, Luke chapter 1, verse 35, when the angel appears to Mary. The Holy Spirit, he says, Luke 1, 35, will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born shall be called the Son of God. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is conceiving this child, therefore, he's going to be called the Son of God, according to Luke 135. Again, all of a sudden, just out of the blue, Luke is bringing up all these references to the Holy Spirit, and it's all in the context of events surrounding the birth of Jesus. Look at Luke 141 and 42. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was 
filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 141. And then she spoke out and prophesied with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb, filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is Luke bringing this up? Because something special, something unique, something that's fulfilling prophecy is taking place with the birth of the Messiah, of this special child, Jesus. Look at Luke 1, 67 and 68. The Bible says in Luke 1, 67, the father Zacharias of, G, of uh, John the baptizer was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. And there's a lengthy prophecy, the things that he says by virtue of, by nature of what the Holy Spirit gives him to do. And so all these references to the Holy Spirit, if you turn over to Luke chapter two, same, same context, Luke 22 verses 25 through 27, look again. Behold, there's a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was just and devout, Luke 2, 25, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. And it had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so, at the beginning, at the conception, at the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is all over the place. There he is with Zacharias and Elizabeth, and there he is inspiring people to say things about this child who's gonna be born, and there he is talking about what he's gonna do with John the baptizer. In all these different places, references to the Holy Spirit abound. Events surrounding his birth. And of course, we've kind of alluded to this, but Matthew just comes right out and tells you. In Matthew chapter one, verse 20, the angel tells Matthew that the child that is conceived in Mary is from the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit is the one who made sure that that woman was with child. As you think about the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ then, the Holy Spirit is the one who is responsible for the conception of Jesus Christ. And all the events surrounding the birth of Christ as the gospel writers talk about these things, the Holy Spirit is frequently mentioned as being a part of this event, all these events. We need to appreciate that the Holy Spirit is an integral part of the life and the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not just his birth though, when you think about Jesus and his life, one of the seminal events in the life of Jesus is his baptism. Eric just read a few moments ago from Luke chapter three, verses 21 and 22. Bible says that John, this is 30 years later, 30 years after the conception and birth of Christ, He's grown up now, he's a man. And the Bible says that people are coming down to the Jordan River to be baptized and Jesus also, he decides to be baptized. And there are other accounts of this in Matthew and in, in, uh, in John's account in John chapter one and Matthew chapter three. But in this account, in Luke's account, the Bible just says that Jesus goes down and he's baptized by John the baptizer. And the scripture says, after he'd been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. This is one of those passages that we might call a Trinitarian passage because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all evident. They're all present. There's the Son, being baptized, there's the spirit descending in bodily form like a dove, and there's the father's voice coming from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, son, Holy Spirit, all evident in one passage. 
John's account reads this way, John chapter one, verse 32. John bore witness, this is John the baptizer. He's, he's talking in past tense, it's a flashback. He says, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. Why is that important, John? It's important because John's read Isaiah. And Isaiah said that the Messiah is the one upon whom the spirit was going to rest, remember? So I saw the spirit remain on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, this is God speaking to John now, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the son of God. So as John's introducing Jesus to his disciples, he says, I saw something extraordinary happen. And there's a meaning behind this. The the spirit, when he descended on Jesus, that was confirmation that this is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And if you read what John preached, he preached, there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to loose, remember? And he's gonna baptize you in the Holy Spirit. More about that in a future lesson. But we know that Jesus is the one who's authorized to do that because of this event, his baptism. And so the appearance of the Holy Spirit at the baptism of Jesus, at least three things are confirmed by this. Number one, it signifies the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The fact that God has shown his approval of Jesus. This is my beloved son. And the Spirit rests upon him to confirm the beginning of the ministry, the earthly ministry of Jesus. Secondly, the fact that the Spirit showed up at the baptism of Jesus confirmed that he was God's anointed. This is the Messiah. This is the one. It's the beginning of his ministry, yes, but he's the one that has full approval. He has all the credentials that it requires to be the Messiah. And then third, it indicated, according to John the baptizer, that Jesus is the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit, John 1 verse 33. Just one brief note on this. People today have been claiming, some of our religious friends and neighbors, that everybody ought to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist said that only Jesus could do that. He said that only Jesus could baptize with the Holy Spirit. That's important for you to keep in mind. I can't baptize anybody with the Holy Spirit. Now, if somebody came forward this evening and said, I want to be baptized for the remission of my sins, we could go back in the back and change clothes and we could get in the water and I could baptize you in water for the remission of your sins. I could administrate that baptism, but only Jesus, only Jesus can baptize someone with the Holy Spirit. Only he's qualified. That's important to keep in mind. Again, more about that in a future lesson. So the baptism of Jesus, it's a seminal event in the life of Christ. And starting with his baptism in Luke 3, Matthew 3, John 1, Mark 1, starting with his baptism, Jesus begins to go and to preach and to perform miracles, his ministry. And his ministry is dependent upon and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's really amazing to think about. Jesus is the son of God. He's God in the flesh. And yet the Bible goes almost out of its way to emphasize things like the prayer life of Jesus. The fact that Jesus would wake up early in the morning just to spend time in prayer with his heavenly father, John 1, Mark 135. And to emphasize that Jesus did what he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
I guess one of the things you might say about the Lord's ministry is this. Jesus was not the lone ranger doing everything all by himself. He was in perfect harmony and perfect accord with his heavenly Father's will and with the will and the power of the Holy Spirit. Both of those things are true in the life and ministry of Jesus and that demonstrates humility on our Savior's part. Luke chapter four, verse one, immediately after his baptism, immediately after his baptism, the Bible says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus knew what it was like to be full of the Spirit. Jesus knew what it was like to be led by the Spirit in a miraculous, supernatural way into the wilderness. And then at the end of his temptation in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. The Bible wants us to appreciate that Jesus did God's will that Jesus followed God's design, that Jesus didn't just make things up as he went along, but everything he did was subject to the will and the power of his heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. That's important. As you continue reading about his ministry, the passage we referred to a moment ago in Acts 10:38, God anoints Jesus with the Holy Spirit and thus he goes about doing good. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Again, don't lose emphasis of those last three words. God was with him. That's important. God empowered Jesus to do what he did. In John 3, verses 33 and 34, whoever receives this testimony, Jesus says, sets his seal to this that God is true. For he whom God has sent, that's Jesus, utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. A lot has been written and spoken about that phrase, giving the Spirit without measure, but here's what I want you to understand. Just taking that at face value, Jesus is saying, everything I'm telling you is coming directly from God. Everything I'm telling you is the unreserved, unabashed will of God. He's given me the spirit without measure. I can tell you God's will in intimate, intricate detail because the spirit has been given to me without measure. That's important in his ministry. In Matthew 12, 28, they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub. We'll talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in a lesson in a few weeks. What is that all about? Jesus talked about that in this particular context. But one of the things Jesus said here is, I'm not casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub or by any demon or by the ruler of demons. I have nothing to do with Satan and him, certainly not using his power to tell his own demons to come out of people. But he says, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, and it is, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The rule and the reign of God in your life, it's come upon you. God has authority. And Jesus used the power of the Holy Spirit to cast out those demons. That's what he claimed, Matthew 12, verse 28. Luke 10, verse 21, the Bible mentions this. In the same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. I'd like to know more about what that means. But I do know this that the disciples had been going and casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, part of what that entails is the idea that Jesus rejoiced in the fact that the Spirit had empowered his servants, had empowered the apostles to be able to cast out demons. 
And Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. The Spirit is a huge part of the ministry of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, after the resurrection of Jesus, Luke writes these words. I, at the first book, though Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. And after he had given commands by the, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Luke's referring in this particular passage to the time after the resurrection of Jesus, before the ascension of Jesus. And Luke is saying that the instructions that Jesus gave to his apostles after his resurrection, but before his ascension, those, those uh, commands that he gave were given through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, the Father, the Son working together to communicate God's will to those disciples that needed to hear and understand more about what it means to follow and to be disciples of Jesus. He's involved in the ministry of Jesus. And then this, this evening, as you study the life and ministry of Christ, not only is the Holy Spirit involved in his birth, not only is the Spirit involved in his baptism, not only is his, the Spirit involved in his ministry, but there is a really significant promise that Jesus makes repeatedly to his apostles. And the promise is this, that he's gonna send the Holy Spirit to his apostles after his departure. So if you know your Bible history, Jesus rose on the third day after the cross. He spent about 40 days witness, uh, showing himself to witnesses. And then about 40 days later, Jesus ascended in Acts chapter one, verses nine through 11. And after his ascension, Jesus said, I want you apostles, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit because he's gonna come upon you. Wait for the promise of the Spirit. And he starts mentioning this even before the cross in places like John 14, verses 16 and following. Jesus says, later on, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth. He's talking to the apostles. He's talking to his 12, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promises the Spirit's gonna to come to his apostles and he's gonna help them. Not only that, John 16, verses 12 and 13, I still have many things to say to you, Jesus says, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Did you ever notice that you don't read about elders in the church and John and Mark and Matthew? Did you ever notice that? When you wanna read about elders in the Lord's church, you've gotta to go to 1 Timothy and Titus and 1 Peter. Jesus said, I've got lots of things that you still need to hear, but you're not ready to hear about elders in the church yet. You're not ready to hear about how the church is to be organized and to function just yet. Jesus said a few things along those lines during his earthly ministry, but he said, I've got many things I still need to talk to you about and you can't bear them now. I'm gonna send the spirit of truth to you and he is gonna guide you into all the truth. When we're reading 1 Timothy and when we're reading Titus, we are reading the words of Jesus. How do you know? Because Jesus said he was gonna send the spirit to the apostles and the apostles were gonna be guided into all truth and whatever the spirit hears, that's what he's going to speak. He will declare to you of the things that are to come. 
The Spirit was going to take of what Jesus gave him and give it to the apostles so that the apostles could give it to us. In my Bible, I've got red letters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you have red letters in your Bible? And the red letters are supposed to signify that those are the words of Jesus himself. They came out of his mouth. But do you realize that technically speaking, the entire Bible is red letters? The entire Bible comes from the mouth of the Lord. He gives it to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives it to inspired men. And Titus and Revelation and Galatians are every bit as consequential and as inspired as Matthew, the red letters that you read there. It's important to appreciate that principle. And this is one of those passages that teaches that concept. I promise, Jesus says, to send my spirit to guide you into all truth so that when you know what you need to know, you can write it down for those who need to hear it as well. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5, after his resurrection and ascension, uh, before his ascension. Acts 1, verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So you just stay in Jerusalem, apostles, don't go anywhere. You wait here because you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Who's authorized to baptize with the Holy Spirit? You remember what John the baptizer said back in John chapter 1? He said, it's the one on whom I saw the Spirit descend. Only he can baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is telling his apostles that's about to happen. Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power, Jesus promises, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people that you've seen me and you've seen my mighty works. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, Jesus says. When the Spirit comes, that's when all this begins, the promise to send the apostles. Here's the timeline I want you to see. And the reason why I've done these three preliminary lessons as we talk about the Holy Spirit together on Sunday nights is because I want you to understand and appreciate there is continuity. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the, the, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all the things that you read about in the New Testament, they didn't just come out of nowhere and they didn't just magically appear, you know. They are part of promises that have been made and they are part of a continuity of activity that you see throughout scripture. And so you've got, if you go back to the Old Testament, promises by people like Ezekiel and Isaiah and Joel and many others. I just put those three there and I ran out of space. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and just about all of them have something to say about the Holy Spirit. And then those promises point forward to the time of the ministry of Christ as we pointed out this evening. People were looking for the Messiah and one of the ways they knew that Jesus was the Messiah was when they saw the Spirit coming down in bodily form like a dove. That was confirmation of Old Testament prophecies about who the Messiah was. So the ministry of Christ and then the promises that Jesus made to the apostles. At the conclusion of his ministry before the cross, Jesus said, I'm gonna send you the Spirit of truth. He promises things to the apostles. And then you come to the day of Pentecost and all kinds of things start happening where the Holy Spirit's concerned. In Acts chapter two, on the day of Pentecost, the promises start to be realized and fulfilled. And then starting with Acts chapter two and going on through the end of the book of Revelation, you've got the New Testament teachings about the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's about, what kind of work he does. We need as Bible students to appreciate 
that before we start with the New Testament teachings, which is what I used to do, by the way, start with the New Testament stuff. That's fascinating. I, I want to know more about that. We need to have a balanced and a biblical picture. The Holy Spirit has been around from time immemorial. Before time even began, he existed. He was involved in things like creation. And whatever he was doing 2,000 years ago, and whatever the Bible teaches that he is doing today, there is a connection to promises and prophecies that you can read about in Scripture. That's important. May God help all of us to be balanced and reasonable and thoughtful students of his holy word. Because everything we know about the Holy Spirit, we know because we can read about it in the Bible. God's told us what he's gonna do and then God does it. And we can know why he's doing it and what he's doing and how he's doing in many cases because we can read it in the pages of Holy Scripture. Let's be better Bible students together. Thank you for your time and your attention to God's word this evening as we talked about the Holy Spirit and the life and the ministry of Christ. Maybe you're here and you need to obey the gospel tonight. You want to be baptized in water for the remission of your sins because that's how you become a Christian. That's how you enter into a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're ready to do that this evening. You wanna respond and you wanna make your life right with him. There's no better time than the present to make that, make that commitment. Won't you come all together we stand and while we sing. He paid a dirty